0: Well, if I were to ask you a question, uh, you might have heard this question before in various settings. <clears throat> the question is, tell me about yourself. Actually, that's not really a question, is it's kind of a command, but that's how we ask the question, at least in America. Tell me about yourself. What is the first thing you would say? Don't say it out loud. Uh, or maybe I could ask this another, another way. What is the most important thing you would say or could say if I said, tell me about yourself? What's the most significant thing about you? Hmm. You ever think about that? What's the most important thing about you? Uh, it's a pretty good question. I guess we should probably think about it more often than we actually do. Now there's a sort of famous Christian writer, scholar, theologian guy you might have heard of. His name is A.W. Tozer. And uh, you know, I can't remember. He's, he's uh, died many years ago. I can't remember when he uh, was around. But uh, anyway, he wrote this book, this book right here, someone gave me a long time ago. You can tell this is kind of an old book. The title of it is The Knowledge of the Holy. And uh, he said something about what is the most important thing about you or me or anyone. Here's what he said. It's actually the very first thing in chapter 1, of this book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Here's what he said. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to say that again because it's quite a statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to say that the other way around. The most important thing about you or about me or about anyone is what are they thinking when they think of God. Now, that is just the first sentence in this book. As you can see, he goes on from there. He says, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base That's the opposite of pure, in case you need to know that. Pure or base, as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he is, what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. The most important thing about you or me or anyone is what's in our head when we're thinking. What's in your head? Is your idea of God big or small? Is it liberating or confining? Is it ruling? We say Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know what the counterpart to a Lord is? This is especially true in Scripture, by the way. The counterpart to a Lord is a slave, subject, servant. So if I proclaim Jesus as Lord, I proclaim myself as servant. It really does actually matter what I'm thinking, when I'm thinking about who is my God? What do I count as worthy of worship, as the song says? You know, people have lots of different gods. Some people have no God. And so when they think of God, their thoughts are empty. And that is the most important thing about Some people think of God as something like uh, Santa Claus or a grandfather, someone, you know, who uh, if you show up at his house, he hands you a little piece of hard candy, and pats you on the head and says, bless you, my son. That's their entire thinking about God. And if that's what they're thinking, that's the most important thing about them. Many of us, we might ask the question, how much are we even thinking about God? I know in my own life, most of the time, I'm not thinking about God. He might, you know, pop up every now and again in my thoughts. I might face some challenge and then decide I need to pray and then I think about God. We are embarked on a little uh, series that we started last time. Excuse me. And it's called With God We Live. And this is a little bit of a reversal of a slogan we've had around this church for several years now, which is We Live with God. And that slogan is intended to emphasize that uh, in the grace of God, We don't live for God so much as we live with God. In Christ, God, in the Spirit, God has joined us in this life. And so we walk in the Christian life in fellowship with God. That's important to keep that straight. But in this little reversal... We're saying this the other way around. With God, we live. In other words, God is the very source of life. If you are with God, you are alive. If you are without God, you are not alive. The scripture says we were dead. Now, people were breathing, walking around, you know, physically alive, but According to Scripture, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And what the Scripture means by that is the exact effect of living without God. <clears throat> what Adam and Eve did was live with decide we would all live without God. We'll have some more to say about that in a minute. And uh, in our series, we have five things. It's uh, what we're calling it is a quick start. Sorry, quick start guide to the Christian life here at International Bible Church. And it begins with belief, because we believe at the core of a person is what that person believes in his or her heart. What are your deep convictions? What do you uh, believe in such a way that it shapes everything else about you? And following from your beliefs are your values. What do you think matters? What do you think is important? What uh, moral, ethical standards do you hold? Your values. And following from your values uh, is your decision-making. Your thinking. And then... Following from that, your activity, what do you do? And finally, we will conclude with, as a church, then how do we, what we call organics, how do we coordinate as a body all this activity? So we are in lesson one. Last Sunday was the introduction. This is lesson one. And this is the first lesson about belief. And what we're going to talk about is our most important belief. And that is, what are we thinking when we think of God? So if I were to ask you, what do you think is the most important thing to think of God. Wow, that is that is not an easy question. I'm guessing that many of us have lots of things coming to our minds. Maybe he's the creator. He's the almighty. He's God. Well, what I'd like to point out to you today <coughs> is... Something that uh, has been on the list of the most important things to think when you think of God from the very foundation and the beginning of the Christian church. It was, in fact, the very first thing or second, two things happened really close together. The first or second thing where someone said, hey, God's like this, and the Christian church stood up and said, no, God is like this. In other words, it is this thing that distinguishes you as a Christian when you think of God from, well, everyone who's not a Christian. If you don't think this of God, you cannot keep calling yourself a Christian. It's that you might have read ahead already, in which case you already know. And in case you didn't read ahead, the read-ahead list is in the bulletin. Today we're talking about God and man, (laughs) I hope. We might not get past this very first thing, which is this. One God is the eternal fellowship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a reason that is the first thing on the list. Not that God is almighty, or what we might call omnipotent, or that God is omnipresent, that is, he's present everywhere, or that he's omniscient, that is, he knows all things. All things that are and all things that could be or might have been. God knows all the contingencies. He knows every last thing about every last thing. He knows where this molecule is right now. He might even have a name for it. No trouble to him. He knows everything. But That's not the first thing on our list. The first thing on our list is that God is an eternal Fellowship. And that is absolutely, absolutely necessary and critical for the whole rest of everything else we believe. If there's no Trinity, there's no atonement. There's no Saving sacrifice. And this is why, in the early days of the church, when people we call heretics stood up and said, No, there's no Trinity, the church said, Trinity, Trinity, Trinity. Apart from Trinity, there's no Christianity. Because, if there's no trinity, to whom does the Son present his sacrifice of himself? The whole thing just collapses right there. No trinity, no salvation, according to the Christian faith. This is the most important thing. About God. <laughs> now I people might have an argument about that. I'm, I'm making a big assertion here that this is the most important thing you might want to say is righteousness is the most important thing or is holiness or is lovingness or but you know if there's no Trinity, there's none of those things either. If God is love loving who? There's no there's no love apart from a fellowship. Well some people might say, "Well, God made us to have someone to love." And I say, "No, he didn't." God made us to put on display the love that has existed for all eternity between the persons of the Trinity. That love is eternal and it's Father, Son, and Spirit love. You might say, well, the most important thing about God is his glory. And I would say to you, there's no glory if there's no Trinity because glory requires a relationship of persons. Greatness can be had alone. I might be great and no one else knows. A person can be great by themselves. Greatness can happen all within a person, but not glory. Glory is greatness appreciated and reflected. And, of course, God has great glory in himself. Because the Father has always existed in relation to the Son and the Spirit in relation to the Father and the Son. This is the most important thing you can say about God. You can't really talk about us if you don't say this about God. I think if you don't say God is a trinity first and foremost, you have a really hard time coming up with any reason there might be anything else except God. Why is there a creation? The creation is the celebration of the fellowship of the triune God, and humanity is at the top of that celebration. That's what we read in that scripture. We. So the first thing we say about God is that he's an eternal fellowship. Now, there's plenty of scriptural proof for this. One of the things I've given you in this little handout in the bulletin is lots of references to scripture. And uh, we don't we can't have take the time to read them all. So the the, the the scripture teaches that God is a triune God. He's one God. There's not more than one God. There's not three gods. There's three persons in one being. Ugh, I know. There's only one being. And in that being, three persons are. And it's not that there are three parts that make up a whole. No. Each of them is as much God as God can be God. All of them are completely God. They are, as this statement says a little later on, they they are co-equal and co-eternal, self-existent and self-sufficient, almighty creator of all else. Everything that isn't God was made by God. So, you know, we're talking about the Trinity, so I hope you're not expecting me to, you know, sort of explain it what if we had a God I could explain to you? Well, you'd have to promote me. If we had a God that we could fully grasp, well, that wouldn't be much of a God. And the first thing about him is three persons, one being Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, Father. You know, we've been talking a lot lately about how important that is. And that is something that is true about God for all eternity. It didn't become true when he adopted us. He adopted us because it was already true. He's a father. He is given to caring for children. He has given his own son a sacrifice for sin so that we can be reconciled to him and cry out, Abba, Father. Father. He's the source. He's the authority of, of the Godhead, the Father. The Son is, now, I know, this is the second thing. You know, I said there were two things that, in the early church that they fought about. The first was that Trinity thing. The second was the, what we call, get ready now, The hypostatic union. That's what we're talking about when we say that Jesus, the man, is perfect man, holy man. There's nothing about being human that he is not. And perfect God, holy man, there's nothing about being God that he is not. That's the hypostatic union. Two natures in one person. We are in over our heads, folks, but Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, and Jesus has been, well, I shouldn't say it that way, because the eternal Son of God wasn't Jesus until he was born, and Mary and Joseph named him Jesus. But the Son of God is the one who was born, And he's the eternal Son of God, and what the the ancient creed, the Nicene Creed, the one that delineates what it really means to be a Christian in the most basic terms, says that he eternally proceeds from the Father. He's begotten, not made. You see, the Son of God doesn't have a beginning or an end. But he is a son. He always comes from the Father. And if you read, say, the book of John, you know one of the biggest words in the book of John is sent, sent, sent. The Son of God is sent by the Father. The one, Jesus is always talking about the one who sent me. If you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. He proceeds from the Father, and in his Incarnation in becoming born a, as a human being, he proceeds from the Father to be present with us. The Son, He's the perfect image of the Father. That's what the Scripture says. It, it, the Scripture says we were made in God's image, the Scripture says Jesus is the image. And what that is telling us is something about his perfect humanity. Jesus was a not broken man. A whole man who walked in perfect fellowship with God the Father. Who walked by faith. Who was full of the Spirit. The book of John says the Father gives Jesus the Spirit without measure. That is All there is, all there is, all the time. As a man, Jesus lived the Christian life and leads us in it. And yet, all the whole time, he's God, Father, Son, Spirit. Now this says, the Spirit is the perfection of the fellowship of the Father and the Son. He proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. The three persons are one God, co-eternal, co-equal, self-existent, self-sufficient. It's very common for people to think that God made human beings because God uh, was lonely, I don't think you can believe in a Trinity God and think God was ever lonely. There's an eternal fellowship, an absolute joy-giving, completely fulfilling, satisfying relationship at, at all times for all eternity. God did not make us because he needed someone to talk to. He already has... You can hear him talking when he says in Genesis chapter 1, let's make man. Not I'm going to make man, but let us. We are going to make man. In our image, according to our likeness, you can see this relational thing in all of nature. All of nature is intertwined and relating to one thing to another. And certainly you can see it in any, any animal where there's a social element to that animal's nature, and especially us. And God says, let us make man in our image. So he made man in his own image, male and female. He created them. So there's an essential, necessary, intimate relationship for humanity to exist and continue to exist. It's built into our biology, this reflection of the very nature of the triune God. You know, most important thing you could think about God is that He is a fellowship Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, all those other things about Him are true. Like this book is a list of attributes of God, like uh, holiness, righteousness, judgment, I don't know what all else omnipresence, faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy, grace, love, holiness, sovereignty, open. Divine omniscience, immutability, eternity, self sufficiency. You know what the first attribute of this listed in this book is? The Holy Trinity. And it's first for a reason. All these other things come from that. Well, we're supposed to talk about us too today. You know that in this course, we're speeding through these beliefs. We could go a lot deeper. I, I have two or three books on my shelf that are at least two or three hundred pages, and they are all entirely about the doctrine of the Trinity. So we're, there's, there's more you could say about that for sure. Every Sunday, at after our coffee fellowship time, we're going to have a Sunday school hour. No more than an hour, I promise you. And uh, if you want to, if you've got something you want to discuss further, you can come. We'll discuss it further. I can't promise you we're going to figure it out because this stuff is way over our heads, folks. I can maybe tell you something about it. We can see it. We can kind of understand it, but this is God we're talking about. What right do we have to talk about God? When we say God is holy, we mean God is in a category all by himself. If I say I'm holy, I don't mean that. If I say we're holy, the saints, the church, the holy ones of God, what do we mean? We mean we're entirely set apart to God. But when we say God is holy, we mean God is alone, I mean, only a Trinity in His own category. And so we don't have really enough language to to do justice to God. But God has enough language to operate bring us into actual fellowship with him as a person. So, what about us? The first thing we would say about us is we're the number one thing that God has made. This is clear in the scripture. uh, The world does not believe this. Just so you're aware. The world does not believe that human beings are the most important created thing. And why would they? I mean, look around. How look? I mean, here we are on this world, rotating around this star, rotating in this bundle of stars, rotating around all the billion, unknown number, billions, of other clouds of stars. Why on earth would we think we matter if we only have the eyes the world has? we don't only have that, we have the Word of God and the Word of God says the stars were created to give light on the earth and the earth was created to be the house of man. And God says to man, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and exercise dominion over it. You're like my little created agents in the world for the, for the spreading of the image of God around the world for the glory of God, the reflection of his greatness. There is no other creature God has become. I think you can tell we're at the most important thing in creation by reading Genesis chapter 1. But I think the the argument is sealed by John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's no incarnate God of dogs or trees or mountains or stars or galaxies or any other created thing except humanity. Our problem as human beings is not that we think too highly of ourselves, is that we don't think highly enough. We broke ourselves. We demoted ourselves. When we separated ourselves from God, from the image-bearing royal status that we should have, that Jesus possessed as a man. We're the most important thing God's made. And we're made to live in fellowship with God. That's what makes us important. It's not that I have some you know, great qualities. It's that God, we're the, we're the praying animals. We're the, the creatures that God has made that can actually walk in fellowship with God. No other creature can do that. We can talk to God. We can pray. And Adam and Eve, think of it, God walked with them in the garden. Spoke to them in casual conversation. Oh my goodness. And if you, if you believe what Jesus said, that was true of him as well. When he was alive on this earth, he said this, I only do what my father is doing. And what he gives me to do. I only say what he gives me to say. I walk in total fellowship all the time. Paul writes to us, pray without ceasing. Jesus prayed without ceasing. Because Jesus possessed the spirit without measure. The communion of, with the father in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is lots of heavy duty stuff. But we are the only creature in that category that can possibly bear the image of God. We're created in his likeness, that's to live in fellowship with him, to imitate him, to see and follow him. And we're created to bear his image, which is to reveal his greatness, his character, his glory in the created order to one another and to all the creatures around us. But something happened. So now today we are humanity in broken fellowship. In sin, the first human broke fellowship with God, which is death. If you are not, if you're a person, a human being, and you're not walking in fellowship with God, you are dead. Because God is the source of life. And so if you don't know him, you're dead. God said this to Adam. He said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The day he ate of it, he surely died. He got a divorce from God, he died. Subsequent generations of humanity are born into this state of separation from God. And because we're dead, we cannot produce the sort of righteousness that God requires or that would, in fact, reflect His glory. Because it's not in us. We can do good deeds. We can understand the law of God. We can obey it from time to time. We can tell the truth. We can not steal. We can, you know, not cheat on our spouse. Lots of things. And yet... Because we're separated from God, we are dead. And God says, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before Him. Why? Because it's not His life in us producing those things, which is the design of humanity, which is what His intended purpose was that His life in us would exhibit His greatness, His goodness, His righteousness, His justice. All those things. So we're broken. True righteous living is only possible as an expression of active fellowship with God. So in our alienated, our separated state, we are not able to produce it. We are dead. Scripture says this quite plainly. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That sentence does go along, go, go on to say, but God, but God. And this is something we're going to talk about next time in the gospel. All humanity, this says, remains under the original judgment and sentence of God, and we are powerless to remedy our situation or even to correctly diagnose. Look around in the world today, and you can see the truth of that statement. We don't understand the righteousness of God, we don't care to. The scripture says no one sees God, not even one. And yet here we are in church talking about these things. Something must have happened. The scripture says no one is righteous. No one seeks God, and yet here we are in church claiming to possess the very righteousness of Christ. Something must have happened. That's what we're going to talk about next time. What happened? God did not just leave us where this list of sentences ends today. He has redeemed us, reconciled us, given himself a sacrifice, a satisfaction of his own justice for our sake. And That's what we're going to talk about next time. There is in your bulletin today one of these. And every Sunday we're going to have one of these that's sort of the preview of next week's session, lesson, sermon, discussion. Next week, the title is The Word of God. And There's three headings, the Bible, Law, and Gospel. And so that's what we're going to talk, Gospel. That's the story of what God did about our condition. Well, actually, the Bible is the story of what God did, the Word of God to us. The story of the incarnation, the perfect life, the death, the sacrificial death, the resurrection, the ascension, the intercession, and the second coming of Jesus. That's the Bible. The Bible, sometimes we call it redemptive history. The whole history of humanity is a story of redemption, of fall, creation, fall, Redemption, consummation, that's another way we say it. The law is something God did to help us by helping us see the sorry state in which we are. He he, tell, he gives us the standard. He says, okay, you want to be good, here's all you have to do. I can't reach I enough. That's my problem. I see what I have to do and I go, okay, I'll do that. And then I can't do that. And in fact, when I said, okay, I'll do that, I already screwed up. Because I'm not, I don't have the life of God in me to do that. And me saying I'll do it is a sin against God. I've already messed, I've already blown it. As soon as I volunteer to obey God, I've blown it. I've disobeyed in volunteering to obey. God, but God did something. That's what we're going to talk about next time. If I don't shut up now, we'll be talking about it now. Praise God that we are the people of his family, the people he has repossessed in many senses the people he has adopted and given the spirit of adoption so that we cry out, Abba, Father. We can walk even now in fellowship with God in Christ and by the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Father, we give you thanks for your, great, your greatness, your goodness. Lord, I thank you for this great reality, the most important thing, this fellowship, this eternal fellowship that is our God, our opportunity to be
1: brought into that
0: fellowship, brought into that circle of love, and to share it with you, and then to share it with each other, we give you thanks for these things in Jesus' name.